You're listening to SBS News. We often hear about new policies and programs that promise to improve the lives of Australians. But what about the issues that are too stigmatised and seem to be too taboo for policymakers to address? I'm Brooke Young, and this is the Too Hard Basket. In this episode, we dive into the taboo topic of gambling-related suicides. How can the shame and stigma of gambling and debt push level-headed people to consider serious, irreversible harm? And what needs to be done to make meaningful change? The thoughts were, were constant. What use am I? I've lost everything. You know, mostly not so much the financial part of it. I've lost my family and I don't have friends. So I'm just, what am I living for? And that's, you know, the ex- extremes that you go to when your gambling gets to that level. I might as well be dead. The only way out of this is to be dead. Absolutely. The stress on my family, on my mental health, on everything, it affected everything. And my life was bad enough, but it made everything worse. I wake up in the middle of the night now and, and it's it's almost like you want to wake up and, and the dream stops, like the nightmare stops. That's Paul, Anna and John. Each has suffered serious financial and personal losses due to their gambling addiction. So much so that they have contemplated taking their own lives. But they're all still here and they're demanding their voices be heard. When Paul Fung was a child, he would watch his parents play mahjong in Melbourne's Chinatown. There were underground casinos there, much like the ones back in his hometown of Hong Kong. When he was young, he was infatuated by the fast-paced nature of casino table games and race betting, and his father helped him learn the tricks of the trade. Culturally, it was just embedded and indented in our minds. It was such a normality. So I started probably gambling realistically at the age of about seven or eight, um, playing for five and cent, ten cent pieces with cousins and family friends and things like that. And that sort of, you know, ballooned when I got into my teenage years. So I had a fake ID by the time I was 16, even though I looked 12. I got into the casino. So it was more of a weekend thing in my teenage years. And then I think when I became the legal age, it was almost a five-day-a-week experience. And then that just slowly deteriorated into it was a daily exercise. John was older when he fell into a serious addiction. From what began as social gambling with work colleagues, he had been made redundant and his payout meant he had more disposable income than he ever had before. He was also on medication for depression and taking sleeping tablets. You mix all that together and throw in a couple of beers and you're sitting in front of a computer with $150,000 at your disposal um, and no safety mechanisms in place with the gambling companies that you can just deposit the whole lot and manage to blow it. So it it was not just one thing you put your finger on and say, that's why I did it. It was a combination of all these things coming together, just creating a perfect storm where a reasonably sane person has just gone and done something absolutely quite bizarre. Victorian retiree turned advocate Anna Bardsley also considers herself a relatively sane person, a normal person, which is why she didn't see the danger she was putting herself in when she began harmlessly betting with friends. But when her life fell apart, it seemed the perfect escape. My life has been tough. Um, Two of my five children died. 
and my marriage was in serious trouble. My then husband and I were arguing a lot. And one night after a particularly bad argument, I thought I've got to get out of the house, grabbed the keys, went for a drive, cold, wet night, 10, 10.30, nothing's open except one of those places I used to go to with my friends. And the lights literally beckoned from the side of the road and I, they said, come in, you know what to do. You've been here before. That night was the first time I'd ever gone into a pub on my own, the first time I gambled on my own, the first time I spent more money than I meant to, and the first time I stayed longer than I meant to. And it was the beginning of the end. Pushed into gambling-induced debt, and often without support, many people can't see how they could possibly rebuild their lives. And some feel there's only one way to escape it all. Lauren Levine from Financial Counselling Australia is pushing for reforms to prevent gambling suicides. She knows of far too many lives lost to gambling, and she says this needs to change. Shame and stigma, and then a subsequent sort of lack lack of support, feeling very isolated, can can lead to, to suicide. But it's not all about the money. And it's often about the secrecy, about the shame, the the loss of trust, relationships blowing up, and a really deep sense of of personal failure. We we hear that terrible slogan, gamble responsibly, and what it implies is that if if your life falls apart and you get an addiction or you've lost money, and um, well, then you just haven't been responsible. You, you, You failed. And that's what we need to change. Anna felt that keenly. The language around it made me feel like it was all my problem. Responsible gambling. Set a limit and stick to it. And the messaging that came out regularly in the newspapers and other media at the time was, oh, problem gamblers, there's only a few of them. Don't worry about it. Most people are just having fun. So that meant, what was I? If I couldn't stop, I was one of those losers. The shame that came with that, I was ashamed that I was juggling money. I was ashamed that I wasn't telling people where I was because I couldn't tell people where I was because I was ashamed because what I was doing was a shameful thing. Everybody said it was. I was not being responsible. It was really, really hard to ask for help considering that mountain of shame. In the grips of his addiction, John spent sleepless nights at his computer betting on anything from greyhound racing to international gymnastics competitions at 2am. He doesn't want to use his real name for the sake of his friends and family, many of whom still don't know about his debt. In some ways, it's harder than a a physical um, illness because you, know, you can sort of go to a hospital and you, and you can get support from the people around you because, you know, and, and you know, I'm not... I'm not trying to make comparison to it to, to something like cancer or anything like that. But, you know, if you've got cancer, at least you can tell your family they can support you and you can tell all your medical people that are helping you that, that that's what you've got. And you can sort of, you know, with the support of family and friends and everybody else, you can, you know, you can try and make the best of the life that, that you, you might have left. Um, with what I've got, I can't talk to anybody but about it. Um, very select people. I can only tell them a part of the picture that I think that they need to know um, because, you know, if they... Um, knew all about it, then it would probably just make my life life more difficult. For years, Paul felt he couldn't speak out about his addiction because of the immense shame attached in Chinese culture to what is known as problem gambling. Status, shame and embarrassment was really a part of our 
early education of you don't let people know what's going on. You know, you always put on the brave face. Everything's great. The family's great. We're all doing great. We've got great lives. When my life was horrible and terrible and what I was doing to myself and others, but we didn't let anybody want to know about that because it's not just myself. It's like the family name and that's sort of where the status comes. It's like, oh, they'll be known as the the, the not-so-good people or the darkness gets shared. For newcomers to Australia, it's not just about the shame in asking for help. Some don't even know that help is available. Grace Hay is a gambling counsellor specialising in treating people of Asian background. She says one of the most challenging parts of her job is getting people to actually seek out the help they need. Asian people in our culture, we don't understand these Western styles of the counselling or or government help and then that's why like here in when we're facing the Chinese community where we offer the help the people don't understand what why I should come and what the benefits and then it's um, they hesitate a lot it's not only those who gamble that are affected by gambling related suicides here's financial counseling Australia's Lauren Levine again we're also seeing family members um, at risk and sadly where the family members have, um, have, have taken their lives. So what I think we need to do is, is change, change, change our thinking about who's at harm and who needs support because there is support for, for family members as well. So what is the next step? A 2021 roundtable hosted by Suicide Prevention Australia and Financial Counselling Australia raised the idea of including gambling as a stressor in suicide death reports. It was the first time in Australia that representatives from the gambling industry, financial counsellors, advocates and people with lived experience had come together to discuss ways to reduce gambling-related suicides. Matthew McLean is the Director of Policy and Government Relations for Suicide Prevention Australia and attended the round table. He says suicide is a complex human behaviour. There are many varied risk factors. It's not simply an expression of mental ill health. We know that of those people who tragically do take their lives each year, only half will be interacting with mental health systems at the time or have a mental health condition diagnosed. So it's those other risk factors that we need to look at as well. Housing insecurity, financial distress, relationship breakdown. And those are all things we can see are often symptoms of problem gambling. The forum's report found gambling-related suicides needed to be more widely acknowledged and better statistics needed to be collected. We need to know the full scale and extent of this problem. That's important because when we have a more accurate and comprehensive picture, we know government will look to invest more funding. We know the reform agenda will have more focus. If you don't look, you don't find. And what we're seeing so far is people on the ground tell us this is a major, major issue whereas the data so far is incomplete at a national level. Lauren Levine suggests this link could be made during the police investigation of a suicide death. Part of the uh, report for the coroners goes and looks at medical records. They get blood test results and they look whether to see there might have been a medical incident, but no one's looking at, at the financial health of the person. So if they're not picking it up then, uh, it's not going into the report to the coroners and then it doesn't go into the, the ABS data. So these lives just slip off the face of the earth without anyone having put two and two together that this really is a, is a gambling-related death. 
The report from the 2021 roundtable also calls for more accountability from the gambling industry. Dean Shannon is the CEO of Entain, which owns betting company Ladbrokes. I think that the industry is very open and willing to to collaborate, and I think it has been a misconception, you know, out there that, that we're not, you know, um, we're not willing to to do this. You know, that, that's totally wrong. You know, um, we we absolutely, you know, um, care for our customers. We want to make sure they have a good experience. We want to make sure a customer can be a customer of ours for twenty years. You know, not 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 for three days, and that, that's not what we're all about. He says his company has nine staff who specialise in what he calls responsible gambling, reaching out to patrons who may be showing signs of gambling harm. It is confronting to customers. You know, if you're, you know, you're talking to them about, you know, look, do you have a, a problem with gambling? You know, are you betting within your means and things like that? And it has been, you know, very confronting. You know, so, you know, I, I think that um, one of the gaps has been in, in terms of even the general market. Um, uh, I guess um, consideration and acceptance as well, and you know, so I, I actually think um, you know a further investment in advertising you know, by ourselves and, and some of the biggest sporting companies would actually, um, well, when I say advertising, advertising of you know, responsible gambling and um, you know, supporting those, those, those initiatives and, and education, I, I think that that you know, currently is the gap, and I think that that is something that we can actually address. But the Roundtable's report calls for a total ban on gambling advertising. Anna says words like responsible and problem gambling need to go. Let's never use the term problem gambler, ever, 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 ever. And um, and even problem gambling is only one step away from problem gambler. It is the gambling and the business model that's the problem, not the people. It's the product, n- not the people. Calls for stronger regulation around harmful gambling are growing louder. And with them comes a message of hope. Advocates say that working towards a destigmatization of gambling debt and seeking support can not only help understand the link between gambling and suicide ideation, it can also help prevent it in the first place. Lauren Levine, and others like her, says there is always support for those struggling. So what we're trying to do is to build a no-wrong-door approach to, to getting support. Some people might want to come and talk about the fact that they can't pay their their credit card bill because um, they've lost all their money gambling um, or they need help to to, to stop the gambling, to put on self-exclusions. Whatever, it's it's a no-wrong-door approach. Um, The counsellors will go at whatever pace the person wants to go at to work step-by-step to to change the trajectory of their, their life and get to a better place. John says he's speaking out so that others don't suffer as he has. If we all just stick ahead under the pillow and don't talk about it, then then nothing's going to change. So, um, yeah, I don't. It's not really me being brave. It's just me trying to um, to do something good on the good days. In Paul's case, joining a twelve-step program helped turn his dark thoughts into a vigorous ambition to get better. He's also been to therapy with his family to help break down those culturally ingrained stigmas. We spent most of our lives talking about the weather and work. (laughs) And now it's more about, you know, what's going on emotionally, how's things, you know. We still have struggles and and challenges and things like that. So we can talk about that now quite openly and raw. You know, I think that raw talk's a lot better now. And for Anna, who now works for the Alliance for Gambling Reform, her greatest passion is helping change the conversation around gambling harm in Australia. If somebody out there who's experiencing gambling harm knows it's not just them, 
it's other ordinary people like me and you can get out it's hard work but it's bloody worth it because everything everything is better without gambling if you or anyone you know needs support call lifeline on 131114 you can also reach out to a financial counselor on the national debt helpline on 1800007007 or through live chat at nth.org.au or you can call gambler's help on 1800858858 brook young sbs news